who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. My name is Jenny Owen-Youngs. And I'm Kristen Russo. And together we spent six years watching every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, one at a time, podcasting about each and every one. Our podcast is spoiler-free, so first-time viewers can listen along safely. Ever thought to yourself, I wish someone was brave enough to write an original song for every single episode of Buffy? Your search is at an end, my friend, because we did exactly that. Our podcast is called Buffering the Vampire Slayer, and you can learn more about it at bufferingcast.com. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the show. I'm Marco Palmieri. And I'm Devin Shepard. In this episode, we're kicking off a dark and disturbing two-part horror story. And it comes with a content warning for spousal abuse and domestic violence. So if you decide to listen, please do so with caution. A troubled couple goes on one last getaway together in an attempt to heal their marriage, leading to a terrifying collision with the supernatural. This is part one of The Night Sun, written by Zin E. Rocklin and voiced by Robin Ellen. The deer was long dead before my husband struck it with our car. The fur was muddled with blood and fluids, tendons of the neck naked to the air, while threads of muscle clung to the mass of the deer's body. Its head stood on high, all 19 points of its antlers aimed toward the heavens, its pulse visible in the exposed veins. I could see the forest behind it, the rest of the deserted highway as clear as a cleaned windshield, threaded with red palpitating stratum. I have its blood on my hands. My husband had been occupied by proving his point with tactile flair. This was supposed to be our second chance this trip. Our last chance, according to my lawyer. I'd seen the deer a long ways off, but couldn't or wouldn't find the voice to tell him to just stop. Just stop. He kept yelling, kept driving, the car swerving over the double yellow, tires grinding over the caution strip when he overcompensated. A cramp blossomed deep purple in the meat of my palm as I gripped the door handle. Admittedly, I was entranced by the deer, by the sheer horror of what was clearly a dead animal that had the nerve to defy all known laws of nature 
by standing stock still in the middle of this backwards highway. Its trademark stupid gaze marred by streaks of gore running from its coal black eyes. Once my husband realized I hadn't been listening to his opinion on my job loss, he tried to make me. A slap of a fist against flesh isn't the stuff of 80s movies. And the recovery certainly isn't from any film with a knockdown, drag-out fight. My head struck the window hard enough to dizzy me. The pain left intact. My eyes rolled shut. The muscles of my neck seizing at the point of impact. My head lolling forward. His fingers were deep into my afro, nails scraping at my scalp, when the front of the car collapsed against the great beast. The car stopped as if my husband had slammed on the brakes. His grip tightened at impact, renting my head toward him. But thankfully, the center console snapped his elbow the wrong way, and he released just in time for me to look up and watch the deer calmly clump away and disappear into the trees. We were rudely awakened by a state trooper with smelling salts some odd hours later, late enough that our plans to reach the cabin by sunset for a romantic walk along the shore of the lake were ruined by the freezing black of night. The moon was three-quarters full and halfway through the sky when the EMT showed up. I smiled up at the bitten, glowing disc and mouthed, night sun, a shiver of a memory rattling me. I hadn't thought of my mother in months. An improvement, considering it had been 14 years since her death. But here I was, aching and withering within the grip of my abusive husband, and thinking of the woman for whose death I was responsible. The trooper's jaw worked at the mud-brown mass tucked against his cheek, watching us suspiciously as the EMT tended to us. The EMT was a random townsperson with a medical kit in the back of his pickup. A rather extensive kit, granted, but not enough equipment to convince me I'd be fine in his care. Still, I allowed him to finger the growing grapefruit on the left side of my neck as the tight coils of my hair showered around us. He dragged the same finger along my temple, and I winced. An automatic response to capillary's long burst as a shudder ran through me. My husband cleared his throat, and the EMT moved on. And you say it was a deer? The trooper asked. He spit a thick stream of goop that landed with a meaty slap at the toe of my husband's Timberland boot. My husband looked from the spit to the trooper's wind-reddened face and back again before saying, If my wife says it was a deer, it was a deer, sir. The trooper dug his hands deeper into the pockets of his tan Carhartt and straightened his back. Look, I mean no disrespect. Perhaps you should stop displaying it, my husband shot back. I pulled the blanket a little tighter around my shoulders with one hand, the other still locked within my husband's, my gaze falling between the two white men of differing sizes battling for ground. It was this boldness that had attracted me resentfully to my husband in the first place, a boldness he'd wielded when a drunk in our college bar thought I was for sale. It was the same boldness that cracked me upside the head six months ago into our marriage. A boldness that now owned me. The trooper grunted, jaw twisting beneath taut, naked cheeks. And neither of y'all hit your head. My husband squeezed my hand until a knuckle popped. 
and we both murmured no. Well, sounds to me like y'all don't want a trip to the hospital. So wrap it up, Cossie. Where were y'all headed? The cabin at Wolf Lake, I said, my voice trained. I breathed deep to reorient myself as the pain from the knot in my neck bloomed. The trooper raised an eyebrow at me. Well, all right, he said, still watching me. So long as y'all are fine. I'll give you a lift. Ain't too far from here. We'll have your car towed to the shop. Get you a rental of some kind on Monday morning. We have to be gone by Monday morning, my husband snapped. Sure, sir, completely understand that. But it's a Friday night, and this is a small town. Office opens Monday morning at 10 a.m. We'll get y'all together then. Until? He turned and gestured at a Chevy pickup, which sat running, full high beams illuminating the entire scene. Gritting his jaw, my husband stood and shed the blanket a little too quickly, his face falling in on itself as he aggravated the damage to his arm. You want to be easy with that arm, sir. Casimiro, the EMT, said. The hint of a Mexican accent gently squeezing the vowels of each word. He continued with reasons why, reasons I'm sure my husband was set to ignore. Fine, my husband said. He allowed Casimiro to fit him with the classic SAM splint and a gauze sling, seemed to listen as Casimiro gave some basics for doing it himself. And with that, I slid from the tailgate and we trailed the trooper to his truck. My husband said his goodnight with a head nod as he pulled the last of our luggage into the log cabin. I could feel the slight warmth at my back as the trooper kept my attention with two discreet fingers on my hand. May I help you? I said gently. I was exhausted from holding my head up. I don't want to make assumptions, and y'all won't be my business come Monday night, but being out here, real remote, I see some shit, mostly with drunk husbands and lonely wives. Here. He dug into the inside pocket of his jacket, and I flinched, stepping back. He snorted. We ain't like that. He proved it by pulling out a well-worn leather wallet, more white than green sticking out of it. He produced a flimsy card, straightened it against the breast of his coat, then handed it to me. Call me, anytime. I'm the only one man in this place, and I'm used to very little sleep. I studied the card, rolled over the name with a caged tongue. Bruce Hayward, Floodgate Sheriff, Colorado State Trooper. I nodded. Thank you, Sheriff Hayward. It's Bruce, ma'am, he said. Have a good night, and I do hope your weekend is nice. I gave a tiny nod, tired of talking, tired of this day. He dropped off the one-step wooden porch and trudged over the gravel. His gait slightly hitched. He stopped right before entering his pickup and said, One more thing. Don't go wandering around after dark. We got some serious beasts out here. No shit. I frowned at him, thinking of the deer, of how impossible its neck had been, how defiant its very existence was. I shoved the memory down, settling my tongue firmly in its cage and waved as Bruce backed out of the drive. 
I watched the pickup until the taillights were two glowing red eyes, warming the trees beyond. What took you so long? Fuck you, Jonas, I mumbled, heading toward the kitchenette. The entire log cabin was barely 400 square feet, with a 10-foot loft for a pallet bed. The small space took no time for the fire to warm, and within 15 minutes, we were able to start shedding layers. Still, an undeniable chill had settled into my bones. So I filled a saucepan with bottled water and set it on the gas stove for some tea. Whatever, Jonas groaned. Fuck, man, my arm is killing me. Yeah, so is my fucking scalp, you prick, I said, dragging ass toward the couch that sat in front of the fireplace. I plopped down on the opposite end from him and took a long, slow breath. I touched the left side of my neck with tentative fingers, testing out the lump that extended from my thyroid down to the clavicle. I bit back a sigh as the memory of Casimiro's touch briefly possessed the path of my own examination. Come here, Jonas said, his voice soft, affectionate, intrusive. No, I hissed as I pressed a little too hard. Come here. He was flirting with me the way he did after every fight. Most times it took his blood being shed before he got to this point. Maybe the close brush with the law on my side had sobered him. I rolled my eyes, kicked off my Timberlands, and tucked my toes under his thigh. My own version of flirting and acquiescence, mostly so he'd shut the fuck up. He took my right foot and laid it in his lap, proceeding with a weak, one-handed massage that I melted into. This would normally lead to hard-fucking, angry makeup sex that would exhaust us to the point of lightheaded euphoria, trapping us in something like love. But the massage was too weak and our bodies were beginning to throb from draining adrenaline. I don't know when I fell asleep, but I jolted awake when I felt him poke at the knot in my neck. Gently but catastrophically, nonetheless. Reflexes kicked in and I flailed, catching his nose hard enough to make him stumble back. Fuck, Avery. I just wanted to see if you still wanted tea. I rolled my eyes and snorted a breath. Don't wake me like that. Do you want it or not? No, I want to shower and go to bed, he chortled. You see a bathroom around here? I sat up and looked around. He was right. The open floor plan did not include a cubby for a shower or even a toilet. God fucking damn it. Yeah, good choice, asshole, he grumbled. I'm going to bed. Make your own fucking tea. I watched his retreating back as he awkwardly climbed the ladder to the loft. I said I didn't want tea anymore, but the moment was gone. And soon enough, his soft snores were competing with the crackling fire. It isn't sleep because I don't dream, but I can't move, and I'm naked and cold. My neck doesn't hurt, nothing hurts, but I am cold. I am standing at the expansive wall opposite the door. Jonas's soft snores hypnotic, anchoring. Something in the cabin stinks. In front of me, against the carefully placed bodies of bark and pulp, a sculpture. 
stabs and slivers of ivory, clustered tight, layer upon layer, expanding in a spiral, pale yellow to hospital white, all gleaming. And at the center, in the middle of the tightest cluster, with the tiniest of chips of ivory, like fingernails, yet thicker. Inside of all this, a tiny speck of color, dark. I want to be near it. I want to know what it is. But then there is a whisper, and I return to the couch where I tuck myself in tight and let darkness take over. I woke up to his lips on mine, and the cabin aglow with a fresh fire. Shit, I hissed. He stepped back, and I attempted to sit up. Failing that, I said, what time is it? 6.15 Saturday night. Jesus, I slept 20 hours? Just about. You scared me a little. By the look on his face, it was more than a little. Fear was etched in his features, stiffening his back and bringing a sheen to his hazel eyes. This fucker had the nerve to be crying. You were, uh, kind of moaning in your sleep, he chortled, a sound choked and phlegmy. I frowned at him, not for his words, but his fucking face. In that moment, I hated his face so ferociously. I itched to sink my teeth deep to the cheekbone and tear away. Disfigure the pretty face so opposite to mine. You know I don't dream. Yeah, he, yeah, I know. He dropped his gaze. Try it again. You okay for some dinner? I nodded and immediately regretted it. I pulled at my turtleneck and touched the tender spot to find a pebble-sized lump squarely in the middle of the crook of my nag. I need pain meds. Jonas nodded and left my side. I slowly sat up, then placed my socked feet on the rug. I gave the world a chance to right itself before standing. Baby, sit. I got it. He walked around the couch with a mug and three white pills in his hand. I took the pills first, then gulped the cool water. More? I gave a short nod. Your lawyer called several times. She won't talk to me, though. So before she calls in a missing person report, call her, yeah? Again, a short nod, though he couldn't see me from the sink. He came back a moment later with more water and my cell phone, the screen already unlocked. Find anything of interest? I asked. Don't start, he warned, and don't think of changing it again. I'll always figure you out, Avery. The tightening of his features was no longer from fear and I took the warning by grabbing the phone and shuffling toward the door, my stomach swimming thick with rotten memory. Where are you going? It's freezing outside. It's better than in here, I grumbled back, then slammed the door behind me. The outhouse wasn't as bad as I'd pictured. It was heated, and about half the size of the cabin, with a full bathtub, a sink with a short counter and an energy-efficient toilet. Something about that seemed ironic to me. But my head was too foggy to figure out what. After taking the longest piss of my life, I stepped back outside in time to appreciate the bright magenta filtering through the trees. I pulled out my phone. 
So how is it? It broke my heart to disappoint her, but I couldn't lie to my sister. She'd been sniffing out my fib since I wore her favorite dress to one of my tea parties and stained it to hell. Shitty, we fought on the way here and hit a deer. I stopped myself from going into further detail, my imagination running wild with the thrum of the exposed vein's pulse. God damn it, Avery, she breathed. I'm pretty sure this weekend is it. Get a couple orgasms, sign those papers, look for my bachelor pad in the city, and start trolling for dudes who own sneaker stores in the heart of Denver. Ooh, moving on up. To the mountainside. Our shared laugh petered out into a rigid silence. She cleared her throat. I'm worried about you, sis. Don't, Kaya, I warned. I feel like you're not going to make it home. Stop. He's going to kill you, Avery. I rolled my eyes. More likely we'll kill each other. That's not funny. This isn't funny, Ave. Since when did you start giving a fuck, Kaya? Since when did you stop? When everyone disappeared. When the bruises were louder than the fucking lies and I just, my breath caught. And I squeezed my eyes shut, willing this moment not to consume me. But it was like puking because the spins won't end. Once I stuck my fingers in my throat, there was no holding back the deluge of years in silence. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. The Infected Trilogy is an unabridged three-season audio fiction series from number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler. 88 episodes, 53 hours of horror are free and available now wherever you listen to podcasts. Because I was fucking drowning and I didn't know how to say it. Because no one saw me from behind your shadow, Kaya. Because Jonas was there to clean the fucking wounds when y'all slammed the door in my fucking face. I gulped at the cold air, my mouth thick with tears. Because I've never felt more alone than I have without you and mom. Fuck, Avery. 
Kaya breathed after a moment. More silence. Tiny sniffles. My only indicator that she hadn't hung up on me. Is that why you think you killed her? Oh, God. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. We had... We just didn't know what to do. We thought you knew better. That this is what you wanted. That whole fight fuck hood rat shit. I couldn't help it. I guffawed. Yeah, cause Jonas is exemplary of hood rat shit. With wavy, nearly white blonde hair, thick for a white dude lips, and a lithe swimmer's body on a 6'4 frame. Jonas was the picture-perfect American boy. The kind to eternally get away with shit because he's just a kid. No matter how many years may prematurely age his Nordic face. He was a catch while I was lucky. And for years, I was grateful to be noticed by him. Kissed by him. Claimed by him. Avery, listen to me. Mom had an aneurysm. You're a pain in the ass, but you can't literally make someone pop a vessel. I snort a laugh and wipe at my nose. When you get back, want to do lunch? I, let's come up with a strategy, a way to get you out of this for good. I held my breath and stopped kicking the rocks of the gravel drive. It hadn't been her words or the naked emotion of the last few minutes that made me pause. It was a fucking wolf standing at the incline of the narrow road leading to the cabin. There was a distinct moment of surprise that I'd even noticed it in the shadows of the quickly darkening underbrush. I congratulated myself before remembering I knew fuck all concerning wolves and wildlife. Yet I was certain this wasn't right. The wolf was alone, its muzzle closed, amber eyes glowing against the pitch black of its fur and staring dead at me. I'm serious. I know you are, I whispered, eyes still trained on the wolf. But I need you to. He's nearly killed you twice. Soft and charitable Kaya fluttered away just as quickly as she'd showed. Back to older sister by 14 minutes Kaya. Perfect Kaya. A Kaya who knew how pretty she was for a black girl. The one who was thinner, taller, lighter. The one who tried to teach me how to use the frame mom gave me to disastrous results. Because I could never be like Kaya. It was once, and it was two broken ribs. One punctured your fucking lung. What do you know about wolves? And you, wait, what? There's a fucking wolf staring at me right now. How did you find this cabin again? It's grandpa's. Who? Both of our grandfathers had died long before we were born. We were the miracle babies for our parents. The ones they'd given up trying for naturally. The ones who surprised the fuck out of them after a night of spiked hot cocoa and a lucky boner. The Wonder Twins. The black version, at least. Look, it's kind of a long story. I got time, bitch. The fuck you do? Get yourself back in the cabin and post something against the door. Wait, wait, Kyle, what the fuck? But I choked. The wolf had advanced while I was distracted. And now stood within... 10 feet of me instead of the 50 safe yards at which I'd initially seen it. Its mouth hung open, pink tongue wagging, yo-yo threads of drool, dipping, retracting, dipping, and then pattering below as its eyes stayed on mine. Fuck. Somewhere in the distance, Kaya was calling my name, but I couldn't hear her.
I couldn't hear anything. Not the birds, not the wind rustling through the trees, only the thrum of blood in my ears and the steady breathing of the wolf in front of me. Shut up, Kaya. Just shut the fuck up for a second. I could feel the heft of her paws in that moment, and I knew I'd fucked up. You know what, Avery? I'ma leave you to your new canine friend, and I hope Jonas keeps fucking you into oblivion so at least you'll go out coming. The line went dead. I didn't bother locking the screen. Hell, I didn't even want to move the phone from my ear. But habit kicked in, and I was sliding it into my jeans back pocket, where it met some resistance. Pulling the phone back out, I fingered around in the pocket, eyes still on the wolf, and pulled out the sheriff's card. I glanced at the number, crumbled the card, and dialed. The wolf leapt before the line connected. I want to see it. I want to go to it. But I can't. My neck didn't hurt. First thought was I'd transitioned to the other side, as my family would call it. I thought I fucking died. But then murmurs of a restrained, heated exchange filtered through, and all the pain came crashing in. Parts I hadn't even realized I'd hurt were throbbing with an intensity that made me cry out. I tried to shift, but was met with a resistance I couldn't quite place. The wolf. I couldn't open my eyes. One flutter and I realized they were swollen shut. I was lying on the couch, wrapped tight under a sheet that was tucked under the cushions. I groaned again and wiggled my arms, but the flannel sheet wouldn't budge. I swallowed air, my tongue coated in paste. The skin of my lips cracked and reedy. The argument grew louder. I'm simply responding to a call that came from this area, sir. And I don't know if you noticed, but you ain't got many neighbors around here. And I'm telling you that's impossible. My wife went outside to call her sister, and she must have just passed out or something. My husband was riled, uncomfortable. I was surprised he let the sarcastic address go. He's nervous. I can taste it. Passed out butt naked with blood on her neck. So you dragged her in here. What else was I supposed to do? My husband shouted. Call 911, maybe? I could feel it. A shift just before the strike. A static current of anger that could only be expelled with fists and feet meeting supple, tender body parts. The result would be us stranded in this town longer than necessary. And unlike me, my husband had a job to return to, so I groaned a little louder and wiggled again, setting off jabs of pain throughout my entire body, so sharp, so livid, I screamed. Avery, my husband breathed. He sounded scared, but it was the sheriff who rounded the couch first. I smelled him. He was bleeding whiskey and sweat, animal sweat pungent and heavy in the back of my throat. Not entirely unpleasant. I stirred as they both neared, a reek off my husband making my lip curl. It was hard to place, but it sat square in the middle of my mouth, crawling its way up my nostrils. Cowardice, chew it, let it fuel you.
I resisted the urge to snort the sensation and odor out within a mass of mucus and focused on where I thought the sheriff to be situated. You did this? The sheriff asked, but he didn't wait for an answer. He prodded at my neck where the knot had been. The sensation dulled. Can you feel that, ma'am? Does it hurt when I touch you? No, I wheezed. My throat was dry, shredded as if I'd swallowed a cactus hole. I tried again, my eyes allowing a sliver's worth of sight. But everything else does. The sheriff watched me, jaw ticking. Without the trucker hat, he was not a handsome man. But I could see him landing some housewife ass in that wind-burned Midwestern way. His incisive navy blue eyes, obscured by a shock of long, more salt than pepper hair, were set a bit too far apart under a thick brow ridge. Judging by the smoothness of his skin, the pigment change was premature. I felt flayed under his stare, like he was reading for much more than a battered damsel in psychological distress. Water, I croaked. Footsteps moved toward the kitchenette, and the sheriff closed in. Did he do this to you? He whispered, rushed. No, I swallowed. Wolf. The sheriff's eyes widened and he ticked back away from me. Then the oddest thing. He smirked, slow and relaxed and warm. Welcoming. He nodded at me and stood up, just as my husband appeared over his shoulder with a mug and more pills in the palm of his hand. The sheriff said, plenty of water, limit the pain medication and plenty of rest. He turned to my husband. I'll be checking in tomorrow evening. That's not necessary, Sheriff. We, unless you want to be arrested on suspicion of assault and battery, I suggest you think it necessary. Bruce snapped. I didn't bother looking at my husband. I knew the hitch in his breathing. The pop of that fucked up knuckle in his middle finger. A low strain of his exhale. I was in for it once Sheriff Hayward was out of the area. Walk with me, Jonas, he said, taking the water and the pills from him. Jonas stood there blinking stupidly at the sheriff until Bruce gave a slight head nod. Go on. Jonas jittered a bit before finally stepping away from the couch. Bruce crouched again, carefully tipping the mug against my bottom lip. I took two small sips. Bruce offered the pills, and I nodded. He placed them on my outstretched tongue, then tipped the mug again until I finished the contents of the mug. Good. He stood up again and rummaged in his pockets, finally coming up with a whittled hunk of dark ivory. Intricate carvings worked in tandem, dancing around each other until they intersected, only to separate again. It hardly registered that I could observe this much detail through mere slits of my swollen eyelids, especially on an object no bigger than four inches across. But I was drawn to it, my breathing increasing eyes aching to focus on it. Bruce carefully worked at the sheet until it came away to free my right arm. Here, he pressed the ivory into my palm. It was warm, disconcertingly so, and heavier than hell, as if he'd placed a block of lead in my hand. From your grandfather. He stood before I could react, his footfall surprisingly soft as he neared my husband, Jonas is breathing heavy and fast for different reasons. The men stepped outside. 
I wept softly as the ivory warmed even more in my hand, preparing myself for Jonas's return. We're sorry to end it there, but don't worry, because we're going to share the chilling second half in our next episode. But for now, any quick thoughts on part one, Devin? I am so fully entranced by Rockland's writing in this piece. The detailed descriptions of the smells mm. and the warmth of the scene really make me feel the animalistic themes in the story. And I have my theories, but I really want to find out if Avery is more of a deer or a wolf. Mm, yeah, that's a really astute observation. I'm not going to try to embellish it. We'll just leave it there for this week, but we'll be back very soon before you know it with part two. And if you like what you've heard so far, please drop a five-star review for us wherever you listen to podcasts. Until next time, pleasant nightmares. You're listening to Stories to Keep You Up at Night, created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Hi, I'm Madigan from Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist, the podcast that explores the world through a personal, intersectional feminist perspective. I bring you two episodes a week. Every Monday, I cover something from a wide variety of topics, covering everything from feminist faves throughout history like Audre Lorde, listener coming out stories, and other hot-button topics like toxic masculinity and the Me Too movement, as well as plenty feminist history, the good and the controversial. And then every Friday, I bring you a mini What's in the News episode to keep you up to date with everything that's going on today in the world. And with over 580 episodes available to you right now, there's plenty of good stuff to listen to. You can listen to Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to rage on. Bye. Stories to Keep You Up at Night, Episode 91, features The Night Sun, Part 1, by Zinn E. Rockland. It is produced by Marco Palmieri and Kaylin West. Associate produced by Angela Yee and Devin Shepard. And executive produced by Molly Barton, Julian Yap, and Mary Osadolahi. Hosted by Marco Palmieri and Devin Shepard. Performed by Robin Eller. Audio edited by Angela Yee. Original theme by Hashem Asadolahi. Featuring drummer Andrew Niven and mixed by Max Kuttner. Cover art by Kendall Thomas. Find more shows like Stories to Keep You Up at Night by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm.